0: the radio misfits podcast network hello everyone and welcome to planted with sarah pion i'm sarah pion your host and today we have neil smith coo of avextra a german cannabis company Uh, i'm so excited to have you here neil today learning what's going on in europe and germany and just seeing all the great things that avextra is doing so welcome thank you for joining me today
1: Thanks very much. Looking forward to it.
0: So my first question I always ask all of my guests is, what was your first cannabis experience?
1: So really, um, with cannabis, that came very much towards the end of my career. So my my background is that I was a banker. I was in the city for 25 years. Um, And as I left banking, I then went to work for McKinsey for a couple of years. And when I was there, I met my uh, co-founder of the firm, uh, Bernard, who... Um, who basically had been researching the cannabis industry for a number of years. And he came to me one day and just um, asked me, would I be interested in, in joining an opportunity that had presented itself to him, working with a Canadian LP at the time to set up their cannabis operation in, um, in Europe? And so, and so really, you know, I, I had no medical background, no expertise, um, never, you know, anything to do with cannabis until then. And so it was from that moment that I started to um, look at it initially, I suppose, as a business opportunity. That was my first kind of experience with with them um, or, or first discussions with Berners.
0: Now, when you started to delve into it more, and and I understand from we were talking a little bit before we started to record that, you know, though, you know, not a scientist, you're, you know, in this company, what the things that you've learned while you're there, what's Piqued your imagination and your interest.
1: So the real learning for me was as I we have a clinic in the UK called Integral Medical Clinics, um, and that has allowed me to see real patients and to interact. I'm on the board of that company, so I can interact with um, patients who, who are using cannabis medicine, and so I quickly began to see with real life stories. I remember one particular situation weeks after we started um, our first prescription in the clinic that a man wrote to us to say thank you for prescribing cannabis medicines to my wife Uh, you know she was previously on very strong opioids and painkillers she switched to cannabis medicine for the last three months and then she sadly died Mm. Uh, but he basically wrote and said Um, without what cannabis allowed was for us to get her back and to enjoy her for the last three months of her life. And as I've started to, through the clinic, really see multiple stories of how people are using cannabis and how it's replacing opioids and allowing them to get their life back, that's transformed, you know, in a a way I started this as a business opportunity, but now I see it as, as almost... I mean, I joke with some of my friends, maybe it's me doing some good after being a banker for 25 years. <laughs> I now see it as, you know, as a way of, of you know, a real opportunity for people to substitute um, medicines that are, you know, highly processed and um, poisonous, potentially. Whilst they do some good, they also do some damage for a medicine that's plant based that really, in my view, must be better for them.
0: I, I agree. I agree. I um. I had before I worked in cannabis i've I've been working in the industry now for over a decade. Um, and I came from I came from civil rights and before that technology. Uh, I always understood you know that cannabis was used sometimes when people were very ill, like in particular like with the AIDS crisis and people going through chemotherapy. But I didn't understand the therapeutic benefits until my late 30s. I had stage three colon cancer, um, and my mother is a is a clinical researcher. So she did the clinical trials on Full Fox Five that I ended up taking. And because of her, I knew that I could use THC to help with nausea and getting me eating again. But when I started working in the industry, and actually it was in California, we were it was pre legalization when we were in the medicinal era. Um, which I feel like we need to have more conversations about and really encourage because as we're getting into legalization, people are starting to turn away from that as much. And I think that it's really doing a disservice to the patients because they need information to empower themselves to create relief. But the amount of people that I was able to help with getting off of benzodiazepines and opiates or lowering usage and the different things with different cannabinoids, like how helpful they can be in modes of use, it's incredibly important that we have these conversations. And that's that's something I do with talking with doctors and nurses and pharmacology students, teaching them how to have those conversations. And I'm really curious to see where you are, what healthcare providers, and you know, I, I'm not sure how much information you have about this, but where you are, how supportive they are of that and how much information they're empowered with to be able to help people.
1: So Not enough, I would say. Um, I would say that, you know, if I look at so some experiences I've had in the UK where I've been going in for some treatments myself and, you know, using and sort of being sedated... And talking to the pain uh, consultant who's sedating me, and we have a chat before I, I go under, and he says, what do you do? And I talk about medicinal cannabis. And they, they said, oh, is it legal in the UK? And so, you know, to find some doctors who are not aware that it's a possible treatment in the UK shows to me that it's really not it's not widely enough known at all. And some of that's the cannabis industry's fault because I don't think we've invested enough. I mean, we can talk a bit more about what we're doing in Avextra, mm-hmm. but I don't think we've invested enough in what we need to do to prove to the world that cannabis medicine is a medicine like any other. And by that, I mean clinical trials by going down the route that traditional medicines do. Um, because we haven't done that as a, as a broader industry, you know that's not helped us, and it, and and it's something that we passionately, in Avectra, believe we have to do, to allow the medicine to be widely used.
0: I completely agree, and the early research that we had was done with male rats, which, as we now know, men and women metabolize cannabis very differently, especially women during their cycles with the varying amounts of estrogen in their bodies is very impactful. And one thing when we were initially having the conversations about doing the show that I was really impressed with, with the Vextra is that you actually dedicate a third of your total budget to research. And I'd love to hear more about that.
1: So we, yeah, so so we are, our strategy is the way we describe it is two pillar. So pillar one, which is the, uh, tr- you know, the buying and selling, if you like, of the cannabis product. So the, mo- the typical cannabis business where um, I've heard, you know, a number of people on your show in the past talking about, you know, running that, but but that is that is the enabling pillar that allows us to then focus on pillar, we call it pillar two, which is the research and development. So it's our clinical trials arm. And for us, um, you know, neither can can exist without the other, but, it, but pillar one gives us the freedom to then, you know, really invest in pillar two. So you know we have I think we're the only country in, in sorry the only f- uh, company in Europe that has a, a phase two cl- um, clinical trial currently approved and in process, um, which is quite exciting. And mm-hmm. you know, for those people you know for those people that don't know there are three phases: phase one, phase two, and then phase three. And phase three is the final one before you get a registered product. So having a phase two approved product, uh, approved clinical trial is is, is exciting. And that one's focusing on, you know, it's a full double-blind uh, placebo trial focusing on palliative care, in particular, oncology. Um, and, you know, that's that's the route that I firmly believe we have to go to be able to turn this from a, um, you know, from a medicine that is possible to use to one that people accept. And I suppose another way of saying it is, you, you know, it's, it's almost, I, I call it the little old lady syndrome what we need to do is we need to get the little old lady comfortable that using cannabis medicine is something that is, you know, that they can use safely and isn't a street drug. And, and, you know, that's, that's about that. That's what the industry is struggling with is trying to move it from the the historic vision of who smokes cannabis to something that is a genuine mainstream medicine.
0: That's so true. That's so true. I, um, I remember once there was a, a lady who came into, well, when, um, Sanjay Gupta did his documentary series on cannabis and the medicinal use and talking about how he had been taken in by the stigma. And the more that he, people that he spoke to and the more that he experienced with the stories, the more he understood that uh, he needed to reassess his beliefs around that. And that documentary series was so impactful. I had um, an older woman, she was She was a senior, she was in her 80s, and she came in and she said, I've never used it before, but if Dr. Gupta says it's okay, I'm coming in and trying it. And it was really wonderful to see how conversation does create normalization. And then the next step is creating that safe container for experimentation, because as we're learning with, you know, cannabis science and the modes of use, everybody reacts differently. But that also echoes really how we should be looking at pharmacology because it isn't a one size fits all thing. Like I was just talking to my mother-in-law today because I'm I'm here in sunny Arizona hanging out with family. Um, she has neuropathy in her feet and gabapentin has been wonderful for her for helping with that. And when I had, I have residual peripheral neuropathy from my chemotherapy and gabapentin makes me a very crabby person. <laughs> but a one to one or a two to one ratio of CBD works really well for me to alleviate any symptoms of pain. And it's, I just think it's an amazing thing to have this normalization to give people options and also really just to kind of see the surprise and delight that people get when they realize that they have other options that don't necessarily have to be. Of pharmaceuticals that could be impactful in other ways, and and with that, I'm I'm really curious to hear about some of the products that you're having and, and perhaps some of the cannabinoids that you're working with and and how that's impacting others.
1: Well, what, so the uh, the the set of products that we have in of extra, so we have a, a cultivation facility in Portugal, um, and. We have a manufacturing facility in Germany where, where we produce the various different oils that we um, that we sell. So, you know, the 10, 10, 25, 1, 1 25. So really, uh, um, we also produce a, a product, a product called Dronabinol, um, which is very, um, it's incre- it, it is coming into the UK increasingly, but it's a very German, it's very much in the German market, which is really super highly concentrated THC. Um, so we, we in Avextra, we sell our oils, um, we sell um, dronabinol, we sell um, some, we sell Bedrican just and simply because that's something that that is a portfolio product that you need to be in the market. Um, and we are going to, the flour that we grow in Portugal is being used both to secure our supply for our oils, but we're also going to start uh, to sell that uh, in the UK um, in the short term. Oh. So... So, so that you know, so we're, we're kind of doing seed to sale. I, I think um, well, not, I think we we are doing seed to sale. Um, and you know they are the products that we're currently focusing on today.
0: Now, for our listeners who may be not as familiar with the European market, why Portugal for doing your cultivation?
1: um Because it's got a lot of sun. I mean, we've got a greenhouse, so it's not an indoor grow, it's a greenhouse grow. So the climate is uh, particularly um, beneficial down there. And also, Portugal is a lower cost area of Europe in which to base a cultivation facility. And, you know, at the end of the day, cultivation, you know, cultivating is a in many, what we've seen in the industry, it's a rush to the bottom. So it's all about producing the high quality product as cheap as you can. So we selected Portugal both for climatic reasons, but also for for cost reasons, and and also the Portuguese government are very supportive of it. It's a it's it's something that they, it's an industry that they are trying to encourage to um, to move into um, into into some of the areas in Portugal that really have got nothing in them. Mm-hmm. So you know we have. A huge amount of land in portugal probably way more than we need but the beauty of it is that we have something like 250 hectares of beautiful portuguese countryside but we are our, our facilities sited right in the middle of it and the reason we did that is because because we are producing in a medical GMP environment, it's really important that there's no pesticides, there's you know, nothing at all um, that can impact the product. So for us, you know, that was another advantage was product security, if you like, because of because of how it's situated.
0: Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Oh no, no, I, I, I was just agreeing, I, I, but I didn't mean to interrupt.
1: No, and, and it's, so we've, you know, we have our license, it, it took a while to get our license, we have our license in Portugal now, and we have an R&D license, we can, we have an, an exporting license, we've harvested our, our, you know, we've been doing test harvests, and, and what we are seeing is that it's working, you know, we're getting really high quality product out of the facility, which, which is, you know, good to see.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, a lot of people don't realize how impactful it is to where you grow because you know, when we're looking at cannabis as a bioaccumulator, so you have to have really you have you have to have a clean soil, you have to have great air. I mean, it's because it leaches everything out of the air and the soil. It's very efficient. And also, you know, looking at, you know, for those of you who are purchasing CBD, Outside in the in a retail setting that's not a dispensary, they need to know that, you know, there aren't the controls that there are when you're looking at a company like Avextra or in the States, a company that's licensed to actually work in the cannabis, the THC rich market in many States, because... Otherwise, you could be dealing with heavy metals, not knowing what it's grown with. There's a lot of things that come into play that are particularly impactful for people with compromised immune systems. And when we're looking at medical cannabis, we're often talking about that. But even generally for consumption, one should always be really careful about what they're putting in their bodies because it can be extraordinarily impactful. And I love seeing what's going on in Portugal. It's it's so fascinating.
1: I, mean, I think the... I think what um, is is sometimes not fully understood is that medicinal cannabis, we are complying with, you know, GMP, which is a a set of rules in Europe, which is is effectively pharmaceuticals. So because of that, you know, because of of the very high standards, it means that we have to prove exactly what is in our products. And so the users, therefore, to echo your point about, you know, putting into your body, you know, you you need to know what you put into your body. When I, you know, when people see a product that has been produced at that level of pharmaceutical grade standard, then they know there is nothing at all in that product that, that they don't know about because it tells you on the label. And so when you get into the discussion of people can say, well, I can buy the product in the recreational market, um, why would I buy it in the medicinal market? I would say two things to that. Firstly, I know specifically in the UK, the pricing is virtually the same. Um, um, and secondly, the, the, for me, the real difference is, you've no idea what you're getting in the recreational market, whereas in the medicinal market you are. And whilst that comes with burdens and costs and all of the things that, that you know, we like to complain about this industry, the reality is for the user, it's the perfect outcome because they get a product that they know exactly what they are um, consuming.
0: Yeah, and with your oils, so that people can kind of see the different prices, because it's even in the states, like from state to state, depending on you know the taxation and the regulation, the prices are very different per gram. How much are your oils at this moment in time?
1: So per gram. Um, I mean that, that isn't the way you know we look at it in terms of you know a, a bottle and different sizes of bottles. Yeah. So it would be for a you know for a um, a, a fifty ml bottle, I think about um, r- roughly about hundred hundred euros. Okay. So it's it's not, cheap, but but I know for example in the UK you know, we are um, we are going to sell our um, the, the the cannabis that we the flower that we are growing for example that's going to be eight pounds per gram. So, um, so it's different in different markets, and you know, and and one of the drivers for that is that in Germany it's a reimbursable market. So mm-hmm. in Germany you can you know you can claim them back in your health insurance, which which has some different impacts on the, on the overall pricing. But you know the UK is the one I know the, the, the best, and and you know that's where that's you know and and that's where I know that the eight pounds per gram that we are able to um, sell the, the medical product for flour, not for oil. You know that's equivalent to the black market price, which, um, which is quite remarkable. I think we can it get it through the ethical routes, and, and at the same price.
0: That's amazing because that's been one of the biggest things with us with the um the illicit or traditional market here in the states. It's been that, you know, people don't want to spend the the money that they have to in dispensaries, and it's it's surprising, like because when I first started working in cannabis, it was. A, a very a, a a good cultivar like a a top shelf cultivar went somewhere between 3,000 and $3,500 per pound. And now it's substantially low. It's it's in the hundreds. But we're still seeing where cannabis is more expensive in the dispensaries than it is in in the traditional market and a lot of that has to do with the excessive taxation that we have in certain states. And also, a lot of the cost of doing business, which some of it is essential. I mean, we have to have testing. We have to, there are lots of things that come into play to keep people safe and to have quality product. But I think that, you know, it's, we do a disservice to the industry when we can't compete with the illicit market.
1: I, I would agree. And the, and look, that's if you go back to one of the questions you asked me about, why did we choose Portugal? I mean, you know, that comes back to Portugal as a low cost environment in which we can we can um, grow the product. And, you know, that I think so. I, I don't know the American market at all. But but in Europe, you know, you know, we've seen a constant drive. To reduce prices, and I think you know that's what I can. I, I've seen that in Canada. I've seen that in the in the in the U, in the US. I'm not sure. I, I know because I've listened to your program before. Oh, thank um, you. The, the burden of taxes in the US seems to be higher at the moment than it is for us in, in Europe. Um, um, maybe that'll change. I mean, I, I I think that one of the fallacies that some governments have is that you know cannabis is a great way to generate uh, taxation revenue, and you know, because of that, they've overlevied the industry, I think. And in Europe so far, we haven't seen that. So, you know, that might change. But, you know, at the moment, it's we are able to produce the product. um, You know, it isn't a gold mine, but we're able to produce the product, you know, and make enough profit to allow us to keep doing it.
0: It seems like you've taken a more common sense approach and, and perhaps you've learned from some of the mistakes that we've made.
1: Well, I think so. I think that's true. I and mean, I think one of the one of the it's definitely been an advantage to watch what's happened in Canada. Um America's less transparent to us over here. I think the, the Canadian market is the one that we've been able to watch most closely. And definitely you can see many of the things work, that worked well over there. But you can also see some of the challenges that they ran into and then try and Anticipate that in our business, and learn from you know the problems that, that they encountered, and try and deal with them up from you know as we try and operate in, in Europe. Um,
0: what are some so- of the the European markets that you're looking forward to opening up? Because I know you know there's Germany, there's the UK, of course, you know I'm, I have colleagues that are you know going to some. To Spanibus and going to the private club. so there's definitely some movement in Spain. But what are you what are you noticing, and what are you thinking is going to be happening in the coming years as far as growth for Vextra and other markets?
1: So what we have today is we have in you know Germany is the most advanced market in Europe. So we have so we have um, you know sales and distribution. Um, you know we manufacture our products in Germany. We have sales and distribution in Germany. Um, we have the clinic in the UK, so we're able to sell our products in the UK. We have uh, a license uh, sales and distribution agreements in Italy now, mm. We have, um, and in Switzerland and in um, in Austria. And they're in the early stages, but we have them in place. And we're currently, um, you know, Italy looks an exciting market. Um, it's developing very, very, um, very nicely for oil. Um, and uh, I think the big market in Europe that we uh, hope comes online sometimes sometime in the near future is France so for you know France has been um you know they're still in the pilot stage they are still in discussions um, it's you know there's still some questions to be answered but mm-hmm. you know that is a huge market that um, isn't open yet but that we hope um, um, uh, you know becomes open um, I, I mean Poland is a, is another uh, of the countries that we hope to, to expand into but you know but really I think The big opportunity for the industry if we can find a way of of getting it legislated is france
0: that's exciting that's so exciting when with the cannabinoids that you're working with right now for the company is it primarily thc and cbd or are you working with other emerging cannabinoids as well
1: no it's um
0: thc predominantly okay yeah see i find that so fascinating and it's it's in the states here when well when i first started we weren't talking about CBD at all. It was There were some CBD products. Nobody knew anything about them. They languished on the shelves. And then all of a sudden CBD became the huge word and it, it, it created miracles and everybody was all into it. Um, but I think one of the things that we are having more conversations about is that THC is very medicinal and it has a lot of value. And in we have to have more conversations about that, especially from like an anti-spasmodic and analgesic approach. It's incredibly valuable. And we I think because of the the C B D market and the market people looking at it as an opportunity for creating revenue without having to do a lot of the going through the hoops of the regulated THC rich cannabis market. People are going into that and we're getting a lot of misinformation about what it can and can't do. Um, And I think people are a little terrified of THC if they have never experienced it and they've heard the horror stories. You know, we still have remnants of stigma around that.
1: I mean, so so I completely agree. So CBD, I think, or not, I think CBD is completely differently regulated than THC. Now, you know whilst that may be an advantage in that it makes it more widely available from our perspective you know we're focusing on the THC highly regulated market and I suppose two things one is to your point about the horror stories of using THC within integral medical clinics which is our clinic in the UK we specifically hired a um, an, um, initially one nurse but we've now got more than one whose job was to do to help patients who were using cannabis medicines for the first time so that there was somebody on call that they could if they were prescribed it and then they started to consume it and they didn't like the reaction or they didn't understand the reaction there was somebody they could ring up and say look I'm trying this for the first time and I feel I'm feeling a bit like this is this weird and they had somebody that they could talk through the initial use of it and we found in our clinic that that was a real you know it was it was you know it was one of the doctor's ideas and i think it was a brilliant one because it, it helped people to get comfortable with a medicine that they had heard some bad stories about so you know that that, that i think is useful I mean the other thing with thc so one of the other whilst we're, we've got one phase two um clinical trial we also have a number of observational trials um and one of them is in particular is with the German pain association mm. or the german pain Society. And that's focused on, and we're and we're the only company they're working with. Obviously, it's focused on um, pain, and it's focusing on the pain that comes post chemotherapy. So, so um, post chemotherapy, people um, suffer from pain in their limbs, um, just general because of the impact chemotherapy has um, on your body. And so, what they want us to do, work with them on, is is looking at. Um, you know how the benefits of cannabis medicines can be used to mitigate that pain and i'm quite i'm, I'm excited about that because we spent a long time talking to the german um pain society um and you know to get their confidence that we could work together to you know to um to operate and investigate this field and and they've now decided that they'll work with us on it and you know that's a, you know i think a real opportunity and for, the, for that, I, you know, my experience is when you're dealing with severe pain, it's the THC piece that uh, of the of the product that you need to be able to deal with the, you know, those high levels of pain.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I, I'm always, people come up to me and say that they're using CBD only for pain and really not getting the results that they need. And it's, you have to dial it back and really break it down for them and say, you know, it's that's wonderful for things like inflammation, anxiety, you know, spasms. But you have to have the THC in there for the analgesic effect. That's what affects the pain. And I think that you know the fact that you have such a great support structure with your with your clinic. And also, when I was looking at your website, I noticed that although I, I couldn't read it because it was in German, but that you have a lot of great materials. Are for healthcare providers so that they can actually learn more. Is it more about the products or is it breaking down um, what cannabis does? I'd be curious to know, like what those those papers are.
1: Um, so I think there's an English toggle uh, um, on the website. So I'm now going to go and check it after this and find out what's <laughs> that um, because um, because so I think it's all it's everything that we it's it's a lot of information about the history of cannabis medicines it's a lot of information about um you know some papers that we have been able I mean there are papers that have been written there's not been cl- clinical trials done but there are uh, you know in, in Germany one of the um conditions of being able to prescribe cannabis medicines is um that the um the so, so there's three tests the first is that you know it's got to be considered serious the second test is that um You've got to have tried a number of other therapeutic options, but the third in Germany—not in the UK—but the third in Germany is there has to be some evidence to suggest to support the fact that cannabis medicines will create a benefit, and and therefore there are papers out there. I mean, GW did a number of them yes. that do um, that do show the benefits of it. So, um, so th- there's a lot of information on on the website, um, but it, you know it tries to just. To, yeah, it's, it's trying to help. It's trying to educate. It's trying to um, let make people learn, or not make people give people the opportunity to learn as much as they can um, from the information that we know.
0: Yeah, you do have a English toggle. It was just the for the medical professionals. It was just in German, and I was like, uh, I was like, ah, it. I took Spanish in school, <laughs> so that won't help me. <laughs> hey,
1: well, my German is not, even though I've worked for a German bank for twenty-one, twenty-two years. My German has not advanced um, hugely from the days that um, I, when when I was at school. Um, I mean, the other the other thing, just uh, sort of jumping a bit back to our our because our, I think it just expands a little bit on one of the points you made. So, our in our phase two trial, we're we're looking at, as I said, um, on you know oncology patients, um, palliative care oncology, and we're looking at pain. But we're interestingly, we're not just looking at pain itself we're looking at what we call the symptom burden. So we're looking mm-hmm. at, um, you know, the impact on sleep, the impact on anxiety, the impact on the reduction of opioids and how all of that contributes to uh, the discomfort um, and the pain that the patients are suffering um, in that part of their life. Because, you know, so it's not, in that study, it's not just pain itself, it's other factors that can help to, um, we're looking at other factors that we think um, help to um, to create that pain, and then how the cannabis medicine can help to alleviate sub symptoms, if you like, which in turn then reduces the overall pain burden.
0: That's that's amazing. I, you know, one thing that I noticed with THC use as well is, um, I had I had a resectioning of my colon when I was going before I went through my twelve rounds of chemo, and um, I had to use opiates. When I was out of the hospital and I'm a person who does not use a lot of pharmaceuticals and I am very lucky that I don't have um, I don't have bad relationships with substances like I smoked as a young woman and they said you have to stop and I just stopped and my friends were like you just stopped I was like yes I did. But with opiates, I found I was really impacted by the fact that after two weeks of using it and taking myself off, that I was having withdrawal symptoms with things like restless legs, having a hard time sleeping. But I was actually able to use THC to alleviate some of those symptoms from taking myself off of the pharmaceuticals. And I'd really be interested to see some research on that in regards to cancer patients in particular and some of the because when you go through cancer it's amazing all the things you get you have a, a drawer full of all of these drugs that you know you wouldn't you wouldn't normally be working with nor would they be given so easily it's uh it's 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 mind blowing I, and i i Look, you know uh, but the,
1: i mean opioids we all now know that the problems with opioids is widely discussed and mm-hmm. me that's one of the real opportunities with cannabis medicines and i see that in when i look at the the, the, the uh, patients that come through our clinic and um, so they're coming to our clinic for multiple different things but one of the common threads is people getting off op- opioids mm. and they're using cannabis medicines to do it and you know that is if you're looking at for the greater good of the planet, to me, that's one of the real opportunities that we have. In if we can get cannabis medicines, if we can get cannabis medicine accepted as a mainstream medicine, you know, there's lots of benefits in in many areas. But, but really, you know, one of the key ones from my perspective is to get people off opioids, which we know, you know, and and using a medicine that's less damaging to their to their, you know, to their
0: bodies. Absolutely. And the the other side effects of them, depending on what you're going through, can be pretty awful too. And, and also even just the side effects of uh, anti-nausea drugs can be very impactful, though they can be very helpful to help with nausea. They do have their side effects. Um, I know for me going through colon cancer, it was, you know, constipation for both of them, which could be deadly when you're dealing with, you know, the intestines. And um, it's just nice to have something different. And it's amazing that you're doing the work that you're doing to not only inform professionals, create the conversations, take down the stigma, but hopefully this will also influence better policy. Because I know the UK has had some issues with, even though they have a medical program, um, patients can often still, they they aren't necessarily protected by the law.
1: Uh, that, so I think... So there's, there's two points I would say in the UK, which I, which which are interesting. So we uh, held a conference. We organised a conference um, with, um, into, under the banner of Integro, and we invited doctors and other interested professionals to come to the conference to discuss cannabis medicines. And one of the people that we invited to the uh, to the conference was the the person that was responsible within Nice, which is the body that decides which medicines can be, or can't be bought by the National Health Service. And we invited him to come and join a panel, and he did. And what what he said clearly to somebody asked him the question: Why is it that we are not making cannabis medicines, um, you know, available in the national health service? And he said, "I, you know, I keep telling you, you guys—you know, you guys meaning the industry—that you have to provide the data that will allow us to prescribe the medicine. You can't just expect us to prescribe it." And and for me, that was a really telling response, which is what has driven partly. Um, our strategy and that it was clear from that just looking at the UK but it's the same everywhere is that you know the medicines go through testing for a reason it's because they you know doctors are trained to prescribe uh, medicine that's been tested so when you're going outside of that regime you're always battling against um, the traditional wisdom which is why for us the pillar two strategy is so important. You know, not just for us, but for the industry. I mean, if we, if we can get this, if we can get more registered medicines, the whole cannabis industry is going to be in a, in a very different place than it was before.
0: Yeah, for sure. So we talked a little bit about, you know, growth in Europe and some of the areas that you're excited to do work in. But when you're looking at the future, what what are you excited about? What are you hoping that you start working on in research?
1: Well, I mean, it is, so those it's it, those clinical trials and the observational studies, they're just starting now. So, you know, so really the, the phase two one starts, you know, beginning of December. So so whilst I can talk a lot about what we're hoping to come from it, nothing's happened yet. So really, for me, the, f- the future is watching those studies develop and getting the data and then um, you know, hopefully the data, you know, it tells moves us forward in the right direction. But it, it's really all about the research. If I look at Vextra, you know, and, and five years from now, I want us to be the leading clinical trial um, um, and and have one or two registered medicines in our portfolio. That's what I think the 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 from my perspective, the really exciting opportunity comes, because you know that that was is when we will then be in a position to benefit you know, the, the broader society. We want this to be, you know, I come back to the the little old lady syndrome. It's it's getting people who are today, they're, they're a bit scared of using the medicine, um, which could give them the benefit and um, getting them to actually then, or giving them the opportunity to use it because we've gone through the proper process and, 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 um, and trials that then give them the confidence, both the doctors and the patients to prescribe and to use the medicine.
0: Yeah, that's just so, ex- I can't wait see what happens with your clinical trials i i when we were first having the conversation about having you on the show i was just so excited to sit down with you and learn more about this and it's it's been a pleasure neil sitting with you today i for people who want to learn more about Evextra or follow you on social media how would they go about doing that
1: well we have our website um you know um, uh, which is um I uh, I'm not sure of the exact um, I, I website address but you know vextra.com, I think you'll find us that way um, we have our we're on LinkedIn um we, we you know we post we, we post there but really I suppose our website is the primary source where you can um, get you can see what's happening you can see, we try and put, um, we've you know we've got um, videos of our facilities on there. So if you're interested in the Portuguese facility, you can actually we have a video where we you know walk the video camera around the facility so you can see how it actually works and you can see our you can see our plant material that um that you know that's there. And we'll continue to use that as our primary interface um, with um, so that you know so that people can keep updated as to what we're actually doing.
0: I love that. I'm. I'm- just so incredibly, it, it, it's just been a pleasure talking with you today, and it's just really been exciting to see and, and hear more about what you're doing. The website has a lot of great information, so for those of you who are curious about what is going on in, in the European market and Avextra, please check it out.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can also follow my, and myself, um, so Neil Smith and, 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 and Bernard Babel, who's the other co-founder. You can follow us on LinkedIn and we post on LinkedIn and there's an extra LinkedIn page so you can you know that that's another route that we that we use but it's prim- prim- primarily those two sources.
0: Okay. Well, thank you so much. It's I as as this continues, I would love to have you and Bernard on the show again so we can hear more about what's going on with the clinical trials as they progress because I know the listeners are are very curious about the different markets and I talk a lot about The United States, but we really, as this starts to grow, this is a very global thing, and it's it's good to hear about everything that's going on, and also so that we can learn from one another. Uh, uh, Having a a good, strong, safe market that is able to serve people in a very constructive way is is amazing.
1: No, I'd love to. I mean, sadly, the clinical trials they take a bit of time, so. So you know, but um, but um, but I'd love to come back, and it would be great to come on um, to come back and say, look, this is where we've got to, and here's what we've learned, and you know, because by definition, it's going to be more than we know today, and you know, that will be it'll be great to be able to share it. So, thanks a lot for giving me the opportunity to uh, to talk to, to to you today.
0: Oh, thank you, and and I I know we're going to have a lot to talk about next time because it will take some time, but I. Thank you for your work and thank you for thank you for making the brave jump into the work.
1: Okay, great. Thanks very much.
0: Thank you. Take care. And everyone remember, Planted is twice a month. And if you like listening, please give us a review, share it with a friend, let us know what your favorite episodes are, and if you'd like to stay in touch over social media, we are Planted with Sarah Pion on Facebook, and Planted with Sarah on Instagram and Twitter. You can also go to our website, www.plantedwithsarah.com or listen to us on our parent network, Radio Misfits Network, where there are other great podcasts like one of my favorites, the Winemakers Podcast. So check it out. You can listen to Planted wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, whether that's Pandora, Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple, Stitcher, tune in, we are there. So join us. And until next time, stay curious, stay safe. And remember, it's a wild world out there. Be good to one another. Until next time, take care.